It's lovely getting back together. It feels like the first day of term, doesn't it? Sort of meeting up with everyone and uh, suddenly, uh, yeah, catching up, uh, which is great. Um, uh, and yet we're finishing our mini-series that we've been doing through the summer on stories Jesus told, in other words, the parables. And uh, this final one is uh, probably uh, touching on two of the uh, most well-known of the parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, uh, we'll just look at the first seven Verses. It's on page 1048. So, chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't, do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I'm sure we can all identify with losing something that is precious to us and that sort of desperate search to find it. Uh, I don't know what it is for you in your household, you know, keys, phones, passports, rings. In our whole household, it's nearly always one of my contact lenses. Um, I wear the rather old type of hard lenses, and, uh, so they, and my eyes are quite dry, so they very easily sort of pop out. And each one is quite expensive, so it is worth looking for. Um, and Paul, who's, no, he's not stingy, but he, you know, he, he is quite, you know, he would not want to lose something like that. So he's become quite an obsessive hunter over the years, and, and quite a successful hunter, actually. Someone commented to me that probably because I was ha I'm usually half blind, so I can't usually find them anyway. Um, with one loss, but he's been known even to take apart uh, the U-bend in our sink uh, and found one there, sort of stuck. But I think our worst experience of, of losing something was when we lost our son Max um, at two and a half years old. Yeah, I can see, well, no, actually, I can see a few nodding between the number of parents, but uh, yeah, anyone who hasn't got children just thinks, that's dreadful, that's dreadful. I mean, how could you do that? But yeah, um, let me tell you, we, uh, we live just off uh, St. John's Hill, just up there, and 30 years ago, that was quite a little sort of village community. Had a butcher's and a, and a greengrocer's and a post office and a news agency. It was quite a community. And uh, Paul and I were around in one of the shops one afternoon with, with Max. Um, the girls were at, at school, at Dolphin School, in fact, down the Northcote Road. And um, I remember I suddenly looked at my watch and said to Paul, oh, my goodness, look at the time. I'm going to be late to pick up the girls. I'm, I'm, I, I better go. You, you know, you finish off here and I'll go. So I rushed out of the shop. I went and picked up the cards, zoomed off to school, brought them back, and I went in the door and looked at Paul and said, Where, where's Max? Where's Max? He said, no, he was, he was with you. And I said, no, 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 he was with you. He was with you. No, and, of course, that cl classic you know, misunderstanding between uh, two people. It was very clear he'd rushed out after me, thinking, yeah, I want to go with mum. 
And so we, went, we dashed back round to, to St. John's Hill, started looking in all the shops, asking everyone. Shopkeepers came out, helping, trying to look down the different roads. Just couldn't find him, couldn't find him. And I was really beginning to panic. And uh, one of the shopkeepers finally said, look, I think we ought to call the police because, you know, we're not, we're not you know, he's a little boy and we're not succeeding here. So police was called, a car, car came around, police car came around, I jumped in it. Again, we started going up and down the road, searching, searching, searching. Until, I, I mean, it felt like hours, and of course I was thinking the worst. Um, and, and finally got a phone call saying, it's all right, he's back home. So I went back home, went in, found him on the kitchen, at the kitchen table, you know, completely oblivious to the trouble he'd caused. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, in fact, it, it turned out that he had rushed out after me out in the shop, had turned the other way, but I thought, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'm going to pick up the girls from school. And he'd crossed the South Circular, all on his own, and was heading down Bolingbrook Grove, which was in the right direction. I'm a clever boy. Um, but uh, 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 <laughs> sitting right here, one of our congregation, Beverly Green, was going along in her car, did a double take, thinking, oh, this very little boy, little chap, walking along on his own, what's he doing? Oh, my goodness, that's Max Perkin. And she'd stopped and scooped him up and uh, brought him home. And you can imagine, you know, just the joy, the, the tears, the relief of having him back. And we can all relate to those stories of lost and found, can't we? And in this, in this chapter, we have three stories Jesus told of lost and found. Uh, the sheep, the coin, and the son, which is a story, the last story in the threesome that we, we won't read today. And there's a progression in these stories that the sheep gets lost aimlessly, the coin, of course, gets lost accidentally, and the son gets lost willfully. And each story tells us something about ourselves and something about God, something that's absolutely crucial for our understanding of the gospel, an uncomfortable truth about ourselves, and a rather surprising but wonderful one about God. So firstly, what do we learn about ourselves? Well, we're lost. We're lost. We can look so sort of well-presented, so together, so successful even, but these parables are telling us that we're lost without God to find us. Jesus, first of all, tells us we're like lost sheep. Now, I wonder, as I read that story, what picture it conjured up, conjured up in your mind. It's so easy, isn't it, when we start talking about a sheep and a shepherd, to think all sort of warm and fuzzy. You know, fluffy little lambs gambling around the fields, you know, rolling hillsides, babbling brooks, a benign shepherd and his dog standing, watching over them. But we need to understand that when the Bible calls us sheep, it's not a compliment. It's not a sweet, rather sentimental analogy. Everyone listening to Jesus in first century Palestine would have realized what he was saying. You're wayward and ignorant, just like sheep. And just like a sheep that's wandered off from the flock, you need rescuing. And the fact is that a sheep isn't like a dog, for example, that can be trained to come when it's called no, a sheep is dumb and stupid. It loses direction continually, and it's notorious for getting lost. And even when the shepherd finds it, it won't follow him. No, a shepherd will have to put it over his shoulders and clamp his hind and forelegs together around his neck and carry him home. That's the only way to rescue a lost sheep. You see, it's not a warm, fluffy story. It's a story that tells us an uncomfortable truth about ourselves. We're pathetically, stupidly prone 
to wandering, wandering off. But as we'll see in a minute, Jesus doesn't despise us for it. No, he understands us. He even has compassion on us. We're told in another story that he looked out over the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without, shepherd, sheep without a shepherd. And we're like sheep who easily get lost and we don't know how to get home on our own. I mean, most of the time we don't even recognize or trust the master, our shepherd. In other words, without God's direct intervention, we're spiritually ignorant and blind and lost. And if we're honest, this isn't an easy thing for us to hear. We don't like to see ourselves or other people in this light. We like to think of ourselves as strong and independent and resourceful and progressive individuals who can have the ability to work things out for ourselves. And of course, many people have enormous strength of character and tremendous motivation. And they do live lives full of vision and purpose. But what this is talking about is ultimate purpose that has meaning in the light of eternity. Two astronauts were flying in space. One says to the other, you know, where have we come from? And the other says, oh, I don't know. And then the first one says, well, well where are we heading? And the other says, well, I don't know. I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? But if we don't know where we've come from and we don't know where we're heading, we're lost in space. And the only meaning you can find for the journey is within the spacecraft itself. And this world, if you like, is a spacecraft traveling through space. But if we have no understanding and no hope of coming home, of going home to God, we're simply lost in space, however much meaning we find in this life. And in these parables, Jesus tells us we're helpless and hopeless, like lost sheep without a shepherd to rescue them or a lost coin without someone to find it. And this is the humbling truth. But the stark reality is that we so easily forget it or we're too proud to admit it. Jesus is teaching us that we're all utterly lost without his saving, rescuing power because we can't save ourselves. And it's not just, not just lost in a sort of vague way of having simply gone off track for a while. It's the lostness that comes out of our sinfulness. It's the separation from God that we cause by willfully going our own way. And let's be clear, Jesus told these parables to remind us that we're lost and God is looking for us. Not the other way around, as so many people would like to think. Many people would like to think that they're on some sort of deep, profound, mysterious search for a God who in some way is elusive, lost to them. They are the seeker, they think. God is the one who is somehow hidden. But no, these parables tell us that God is the seeker and we are the lost. And we're lost because of our pride and selfishness and sin that cuts us off from, the, from God. We can't find our own way home. There has to be a rescuer. And that's why the good news Jesus brought wasn't good news to the religious leaders at the time. They found it offensive because they couldn't contemplate that they were lost and needed rescuing. You know, they considered themselves good and upright and godly people, as so many people today. But the good news isn't for good people. It's for bad people 
who know they need rescuing. They need the forgiveness that brings them home. Now, many of you who don't know me very well may think that I'm a good person. You know, I'm a vicar's wife, for goodness sake. You know, I'm a nice person who tries to do good things. That's what you may think. Uh, That's what I'd like you to think. But no, I'm a bad person in need of God's mercy every day of my life. And I mustn't ever forget it. And okay, it's not that everything we do is rotten through and through. That wouldn't be true. We're all capable of huge acts of love and self-sacrifice. But every good we do is marred. We're made in the image of God, but we're flawed. Now, my Paul um, is a bit of a hoarder. Uh, and he has kept about 50, at least 50. Uh, I don't know quite how many because he shuffles them up into his, his, his study, but old-fashioned, you know, the old-fashioned, long-playing vinyl records. Um, and uh, he tells me he's holding on to them because actually they're becoming increasingly valuable. I don't know. Um, but just think of one of those records, those old records, with a scratch from uh, the rim to the center. Every revolution is spoiled. I don't know, by mixed motives, by selfish ambition, envy, pride, competition. And I I mustn't forget that I need rescuing. Jesus came to earth as the rescuer. I mean, just a few chapters on, he rescues yet another person who's lost, hiding in a sycamore tree. And he tells him this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. His main mission, that's the miraculous work that he did on the cross and promises to do in each of our lives. The big rescue when Jesus first found us. The daily rescue from our stupidity and waywardness and sin. And the eternal rescue when one day we will be fully rescued. He's our rescuer. And God, despite our rebellion, our pride, our our waywardness, comes looking for us. And these parables, above everything, show us the Father heart of God. The God who is determined to find us. To find us when we're lost. Who pursues us with a passion. Who loves us enough to leave the 99, we're told. Who won't give up until we're brought safely home. Who hunts with a tooth comb through the house until that one missing coin is found. I mean, we don't know how long it took that woman, uh, that dear woman, to find that coin. But it sounds as though she might have been hunting right through the night because we're told she lights a lamp. Did you notice? She sweeps the whole house, searching carefully, verse 8. And you can just imagine her, you know, shifting through all the piles of dust, searching through things again and again. Desperate search. Those 10 silver coins were all that she had. And one is missing. I mean, no wonder she's desperate to find it. Uh, It was probably, more than likely, part of her dowry. She might have been given them on her wedding day, like like being given a wedding ring. And she would have worn them, strung together round her neck or round her head even. And one is missing. Now, through these stories, Jesus makes it very clear that God's heart is for the lost. Just look back for a moment at the first two verses of our chapter. Because they're absolutely key in helping us to understand why Jesus is telling these stories. Two groups of people are mentioned. Firstly, the tax collectors and sinners, the most despised group among the Jewish community. 
who were told are gathering round to hear him. You know, they're leaning in. They're listening hard. They don't want to miss anything Jesus says. And secondly, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the spiritual elite, the most honored in the community. They're close by too, but they're not listening. They're muttering, grumbling. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I mean, they're horrified. They're disgusted. They see these people as outside of God's favor, outside the precious laws and requirements that they so meticulously uphold. But of course, all through the Gospels, we find Jesus defying the religious leaders and the accepted religious practices of the day, taking radical steps to challenge the status quo. And so again, we find him here. What do we find? Inviting in, welcoming as honored guests, those who were considered to be on the outside and unsettling those who thought they were on the inside. And this set of stories must have sent shockwaves through these two groups of people for totally different reasons as Jesus turns their worlds upside down. Those who thought they were in find themselves on the outside of God's favor and those on the outside find themselves brought in, brought home. Now, Jesus likens himself to a shepherd many times in the Gospels. I mean, think of the good shepherd in John 2 who lays down his life for the sheep. And when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, people would have immediately recognized that he was contrasting himself with the bad shepherds who the Old Testament prophets warned them about. I mean, just listen to Ezekiel's damning prophecy from the Old Testament. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? But you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. See, this is what the people at that time would be thinking when Jesus speaks. And we've got to realize how revolutionary, how threatening this was for the religious leaders. Up until now, they'd made the rules. They'd kept the ordinary people in their place. They'd become the mediators between people and God. But through these stories, Jesus reveals a God who wants to draw each person individually to himself, hence the one in each story, the one. And he reveals a God who knows us personally, you know, who notices when we're missing. A God who loves us so much that he pursues us because in his eyes we're valuable, we're loved. And these stories give us a glimpse of a God who is so focused, so passionate, so persistent in his determination to do whatever it takes to find us and rescue each person who is lost. Now, I don't know what your personal experience of God is, but for those of us here who know how God has sought us out and saved us, I would simply encourage you today to remind yourself of your own story of how God pursued you. Remind yourself of how you were lost and without hope and how he found you and carried you home. Happened to me when I was just 17 years old. I'd hardly to my shame had a single God thought in my head. 
but he searched me out and he saved me. And as far as I know, he saved me from a selfish, pointless, shallow life. And we need to remind ourselves what an extraordinary, life-changing, mind-blowing thing this is. That the God of all creation should make a, a part of his plan to rescue a sinner like you and me. Don't let's ever forget it. Don't let's ever take it for granted. It's a massive thing. And that's why we're told there'll be a massive party both on heaven and in earth when each person is found by God and brought home. In both stories, we're told there will be great rejoicing. And you see, it's not a private thing when we're found by God. It's not a sort of little interaction between me and God in the privacy of my own room. It's a cause for great celebration. There's a wonderful coming home. The heavens are going to rock. And this isn't about a transaction. It's about a relationship restored. God and his angels, can you just imagine it, rejoicing over each one of us because they know what each rescue is worth. It's worth everything. It's worth leaving the 99. It's worth hunting high and low. And these parables point to a God who pursues us, who never gives up on us. And that pursuit, as we know, took him to the cross. That determination to do everything he could to rescue us and restore us took him to the harshest and darkest of places so that he could bring each one of us back home safely, carrying us on his shoulders. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? A wonderful story. Let's stand. And let's make this personal, shall we? I don't know whether this is your experience or not, but for those of us here who know, who know the wonder that we have been rescued, God has found us. He sought us out and he brought us home. And each of our stories will be different, wonderfully different. But let's thank him. Let's not take it for granted. Let's thank him again, even now just under our breath in our own way, to say, thank you, God. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you that you sought me out. You missed me. You knew me. You called me by name. And he sees us even in a crowd, even in the crowd here. He's calling out the one, each one. And for those of us who don't yet know that wonder of coming home, you're here. And you're hearing this story, this wonderful story about how God is seeking you, pursuing you, looking out for you. And Lord, we thank you that that is the God you are. Not a God who is mysteriously hidden from us, hiding away from us making it difficult for us to come home. But you're a God who's here with your arms open wide. And for those of us here who, for whatever reason, feel that actually we do feel a bit lost. Now, we know that we have been saved, but for whatever reasons, we feel like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little way off. And I need to come back home. 
And this might be a moment just to say to God, look, I'm here. Pick me up. Take me home. Maybe just to confess something, some way in which we've wandered. God says, yeah, I'm here to bring you home, to bring you back home. And so wonderful that he rescues, he bothers to rescue the one, the one. And for some of us here, I, I wonder whether we're in that place of knowing, yes, I know I'm saved, but we need to realize again the starkness, the stark reality that for people around us, people in our workplaces, people in our community, in our families, are lost. And they may look so okay on the surface, but this story tells us there's a stark reality. We're either lost or found. And I wonder whether for some of us here, God is stirring up again, or in a new way, a compassion for the lost a desperation for them to be found. And if that's you, if you say, yes, I need, I need to realize the stark reality. And when I look at other people, I need to know it's not okay. They're not safe. They need rescuing. And the wonderful thing is that God invites each one of us to be part of his rescue plan. So maybe for some of us here, we need to just open up our hands and say, "Look, Lord, I want, again, I want to be part of that rescue plan of yours. Be willing to be used. Be willing to go out and be part of the ones who bring back the lost. So as we sing this final song, maybe just use it to just show, tell God where you're at. Thank him. Ask him. Commit again. Come back again. Let's do that together.